I'm going into part two of my Christmas series this week, and I'm kind of just getting stuck on part one. And last week we looked at the scripture when Joseph and Mary were betrothing to get married. And um, all of a sudden, an angel appeared to Mary and said that she was going to be born of child and his name to be Jesus. And when she returned to Joseph, the Bible tells us that um, Joseph, being a just and upright man, decided to put her away quietly rather than make a public spectacle of her. And I just thought, how amazing is that? Up to that point, the Bible had never shown that somebody had been pregnant by immaculate conception. There was no scripture to say that could have happened. And so there was no reason for Joseph to really believe that that should have happened. So I'm sure in his head, when Mary came and said, oh, by the way, God got me pregnant, he was like, uh, yeah, I've heard that one before. Probably furious, obviously, she was to be his wife. And when they were betrothing, they were committed to each other. The, the marriage plans were being ready, readied. And um, you can just imagine what that would have felt like when all of a sudden Mary comes and says, listen, I'm pregnant with child, and God gave it to me. So in his head, obviously, she's uh, been going to too many spooky meetings, or, or um, she's lost her mind, or she's just lying to me because she messed around on me. And so he had full right to be absolutely furious about the situation. Matter of fact, had he revealed her, she'd have been an outcast and possibly even lost her life um, for what she had done. But the Bible tells us that Joseph being an upright and just man, so that's God's words, that being upright and just, he decided to just put her away quietly and not make a public spectacle of her, which was the most amazing, amazing thing to do. And so later on, we know that an angel also appeared to Joseph and says, you know, don't be scared. She is born. She is pregnant with the Holy Ghost. And so Joseph, again, another spectacular move, decides to go and, and be married to her and um, stay married to her and, and stay, stay um, clean and pure until Jesus is born. But just even go back to her, knowing that the rest of the town probably or could have thought that uh, she might have wandered off or he knew what he was getting into, that all of a sudden they were going to have a child that was born of God, which, you know, <laughs> the persecution, what came as a side symptom of that. And so I just sat there last week and the last couple of weeks looking at that and thought, my goodness, I'd like to have that kind of spirit like Joseph had. Just being able to just like, when you see people that are messing up and hurting me, um, hurting myself, that my response rather to be than to fight back would be to just somehow be humble and loving enough to be able to cover that sin with love that the Bible says we're supposed to do, where love covers a multitude of sin. But it ain't, it ain't easy. I mean, we see in the scripture about forgiveness where, you know, you know, when Jesus tells the disciples how much they should forgive, they're like, help her unbelief. Like, this, is, this seems impossible because it is, you know, a tough area, a tough area. But I just wanted to focus on, and when I see Joseph and that kind of move that he made, I just think about humility. That what he was doing, that he was putting somebody else's needs ahead of his own. And it just comes down to being humble and being, having humility in our lives. And that was the, the character of Joseph was completely selfless. And when we see Jesus come to the earth and grow up and begin to start his ministry, Jesus talks about this so much in the Bible. Matter of fact, when I start to look at these scriptures that we're going to look at, I just had to pick from a bunch because he talks about humility so much in the Bible. It's just, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a theme throughout the entire gospels about humility and, and through the epistles about humility. So I just kind of picked the ones that I wanted to pick for this week. And, and one of the reasons I picked this first scripture is just, uh, I just got into it a few weeks ago and Jonathan, my boy and I had a discussion over this um, 
um, one day, because we were just talking about the poor and talking about alms, and I was telling Jonathan to do his study on alms, that it's a very interesting study. And so, but this is what sparked the whole conversation, was Luke chapter 14 is this, verse 7. So he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of all those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is a hard scripture. These are one of these scriptures you just kind of stop and, and, and just, what is Jesus saying here? And he, this is where he's just presenting the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is so backwards to how our flesh responds. The kingdom of God is so backwards to how the world thinks. The Bible says, if you want to get, you give. It's just all opposed to how the world thinks. And in the first part of that situation, um, he's talking about going to a wedding feast. And don't be the one always trying to go into the best place, but sit at the back lest you go to the front and somebody say, hey, that's not your seat and pull you out and you have shame, but rather sit at the back, be humble. And if they call you forward, then you will be blessed in the presence of all who are there. And you relate that to the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, people think that they can plow their way to the front and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm so good. And I'm so, look at me, I'm the, I'm the holiest Christian of the bunch. And then all of a sudden we realize that Jesus keeps different scores than that. And Jesus is saying, be the humblest, be the one that says, listen, God, like, I'm just so gracious that you took me and God, that I don't even deserve to be at the wedding feast, but you made me deserving. You gave me the invite. Now I know I belong and I know I'm worthy, but God, I'm so grateful that I'm even allowed to come through the doors. You are amazing, God. There's a big difference in the spirit of which one we're talking about, isn't there? And I think when we come from that position, I'm not talking about being, you know, oh, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, because God has made us something. But understanding that we were nothing and he became us, we became something is very, very, very important to understand that. And because of that, we never forget from where we came from. And we always have a heart from, uh, for others when we don't forget where we came from. Every once in a while, I have to visit back to the day that I got saved. I have to visit back and realize that, God, like, I didn't deserve it. I was so, so happy and so excited when Christ came into my life. And the reason was, it was just that I just couldn't believe that he would take me and show me my destiny and show me that I had a future. And, and just this, all of a sudden, this immediate sense of that I belong and I have a spot in the universe. But the day before, I didn't feel any of that. The day before, I, was, I was, wasn't living like I should have been in the kingdom of God. And so I think we need to take this humble look and say, you know what? When we have that soft spot in our hearts of that, we know where we came from and know what God did for us without payment, for us not to pay anything, then we start to have gratitude and we start to have compassion towards other people. Isn't that right? First Peter says this, First Peter 5, 5 through 7 says this, likewise, you younger, submit yourself to your elders. 
I didn't like doing that when I was younger. Oh my goodness. I was just saying, telling somebody the other day, I'm so grateful for my dad. You, I was so mad when he'd get me up every Saturday morning after I'd been out way too late and make me come out and build something and build a fence and, and, and plant a garden and, and like fix a car. And I was just hating him through this whole scenario. But I'm so glad that I submitted myself to him because later in life, it became very valuable. And I was just saying the other day, I was working on something and, and talking with, with somebody. I'm like, man, I'm just so grateful that, that I did. So it says, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you. And then it says to be submissive to one another. This whole kingdom thing is just about putting other people in front of ourselves. And be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's powerful. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's like the more we fight for something in our flesh, the more actually the spirit of God resists it. But the more we walk in humility and trust God's plan for our lives and trust to walk out the word of God and obey the word of God and obey the will of God and just trust to do that, that's where God exalts us and that's where God honors us, the scripture tells us. So it's just, it's a backwards thing. But, you know, I I talk with my boy all the time, but we were talking about that the other day, that it's not natural for people to want to be generous. But when you are, God will still honor you. He will. And you can still prosper in that environment. And it's even greater when you do godly things and then you prosper and you're like, whoa, that had to be God. Because I would have wanted to claw and scrape and save and steal from people and all this stuff. And don't kid yourself. Like, like that flesh side of us wants to do that. But the renewed side of us, the God side of us wants us to be generous. And then when we see God's blessing come, it's so much more amazing because we know he did it. And like all Paul used to even say, you know, he, he, he just marveled at the works of God. He says, listen, I've done more than all of you. All of you. I've done more and I've been through more than all of you apostles. All you people I've been through. He says, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that labored through me. So God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Matthew 20, 20 through 8 says this. This is a cool story. This is a funny story, actually. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, through the apostles, James and John, came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to to be baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. That's pretty cool because he kind of agrees with them. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup. He's talking about their martyrdom at the time. Maybe baptized with with the baptism that I'm to be baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left, this is not mine to give but it's for those to whom it is prepared for by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise great authority over them. Yet it shall not be among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for the ransom of many. It's a wonderful, wonderful piece of scripture. But I love the scripture because it's all sorts of funny, cool things are going on here. It's like, first of all, these two sons and the mom go to ask Jesus, listen, can we have the two best places in heaven, in the kingdom? And I laugh because I think if you need to bring your mom 
You ain't ready for the first two biggest places in the kingdom of God. If you need to bring your parent to go ask Jesus, I'm thinking, I'm thinking he's pro- they're probably not ready for the first two places in the kingdom of God. And then they've been hanging around these other 10 for how long? And they sneak in for a private meeting with Jesus and say, hey, can we have the first two seats? And the Bible says when the other 10 found out, I mean, imagine your reaction, right? You're hanging around, you're serving, you're doing everything he's at, Jesus has asked, and you're all out there together and you're casting out devils and healing the sick and you're going through punishment and persecution and all this stuff. And you find out that two of your gang goes and sneaks in for a private meeting to try to find the two best spots. Oh my goodness, you'd be like mafia. You'd have like a, you'd be taking people out. And so it's, it's a crazy situation. Like just think about, Jesus must have handled that for a little while afterwards, the division that must have occurred just right even there, like the other 10 would be like, get away, don't eat at my table, you scoundrel, right? Anyways, they're trying to work their way and be the first in. And Jesus says, hey, wait a minute, you're doing this backwards. My father has reserved these two seats and he's reserved all these other seats too. But my father has reserved these two seats and it's for him to give, but he says, I'll tell you how to get, work your way up to those seats. You want to be greatest in the kingdom? You'd be the least on the earth. You want to be the greatest in the kingdom? You'd be the biggest servant on the earth. That's how the kingdom is. And that's the wild thing about this life. We think about it. It's like the greatest servants are going to have the greatest rewards in the kingdom of God, which means that it's going to look exactly opposite to what is going on, what we think will happen. It's like like this reverse structure is going to take place. It's like, here we have this hierarchy on earth and God's just going to flip it in the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, he goes on to say that um, the ones that are least honored on the earth will likely be the ones that will be the greatest, have the greatest honor in the kingdom of God. And those who have the greatest honor in the earth will have the least in the kingdom of God. So we shouldn't be fighting for the top seats, folks. We shouldn't be fighting to be the most famous. We should be fighting to be the least famous and be servants and be servants to the rest of mankind. You with me? You're getting quiet. I'm not beating you up too bad this morning, am I? And then Jesus went on to prove it, right? I mean, he washed fate. He did. He washed their fate. And Peter was like, hey, you ain't washing mine. And, and Jesus said to him, basically, hey, you will have no place in the kingdom of God unless you let me wash your feet. And why is he saying that? He's saying, because I am the greatest that ever walked the earth, and I need to be the greatest servant. You let me serve you. Just an amazing, amazing moment. Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says this. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but the interests of others. Esteem others more than yourselves. Just think about conversations, right? We always want to brag ourselves up. It's just, our, it's just the fleshly natural habit that we have, right? We get in conversations and we, somebody talks about something and we want to one-up them. Well, you should have seen what I did, right? Yeah, we should be the people bragging everybody else up. You know, I've shared this before. I've come across a couple of people in my life that have radically changed my life. And, 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 and they were very, very well-accomplished people on the earth. But to meet them, you would never know it. 
They were always promoting and pushing other people and saying how good and other people were doing and, and what everybody else was doing. And, and you know, in a, one particular case, I didn't f- find out how accomplished this person was till later. And I was like, I can't believe you've done all this. And I'm like, you know, like, why didn't you tell me? He just, oh, you know. And that's how God wants us to be. He wants us pushing and pushing everybody else's needs and, and promoting everybody else ahead of ourselves. And we think, well, how are we ever going to get ahead? Well, that's the kingdom rule. That's the thing, right? It's like that whole give and get thing. It's like you exalt somebody, you humble yourself, and he exalts us. All of a sudden, you're in this fight of you can't help yourself being promoted because you're being such a servant, right? That's just what happens. And so humility is so huge. And Joseph, to me, although he's not talked about much in the Bible, um, he sure comes across as a humble guy. And he just wants to, no matter what, he just wanted to cover um, his wife to be her sins and love, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins and he just walked completely in humility. So that's what I wanted to just finish up from last week. And now there's just one more thing that that scripture made me think about this week, about Joseph and Mary and Jesus coming to the earth. It was the family unit. Here Jesus, the son of God, is stepping off the throne, is being born of a virgin, coming into this earth. He could have entered the earth anyway. Well, he couldn't have because it's God's plan to enter this way. But what I'm saying is initial, and the initial plan, he could have came like he's going to come, you know, he just could have come anyway. But for, in order for him to be in line with what the will of God wanted and what he wanted, God put him into a woman and put him in a family unit to be brought up in a family situation. And I can't think it's anything more important as these days, the attack on the family unit. We are talking a massive attack. Another bill was passed just this week, and I don't want to get into the political side of it, but it's just trying to just handcuff people that are trying to help others to be in a family, normal Bible unit. And it's just an enemy attack. And I don't, like I said, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but I just, it has been since day one, since the Bible happened, that the enemy has been trying to attack the family unit. It has been. And I want to tell you, no matter how you grew up or how your life is right now, it's like, this, this is the way I look at it. It's like, okay, you know what? If, if I do something really stupid this week, it's silly for me to try to convince God. The thing that I'm doing that is stupid is his will, right? We tend to want to do that. It's like, okay, we try to bring God into our will and it's okay that I'm doing this and it's okay I'm doing this. But at the end of the day, if you truly have the spirit of God in you, you know that that doesn't work. Your heart starts to convict you and you're like, okay, you know what? I'm doing it, but I'm doing it wrong with God, right? And that's okay, because we're all walking that out. We're all in that role. We're like, okay, you know what? We're all in the sanctification process, and we mess up, and it's our heart that says, and the word of God against our heart that says, listen, we're doing something wrong, and we go, okay, God, we're sorry for doing that. Help me to be more like you. But we have to do that with all the word of God. And the family unit is like that. No matter how we grew up and no matter how we're living now, we still have to uphold and speak God's best for the family. And that is the family unit that God designed, how he created it to be, for male and female to be in a situation with children and offspring. That's what the Bible says in Malachi. We get together, why? To produce godly offspring. To produce godly offspring. Why? Because the kingdom of God is being advanced and God's will is being done upon the earth. Now, I know God can redeem all these situations. I'm not saying that, and I'm not going to flip to the other side and be mean with people. I believe we live in a free country, and I believe that people should and can and should make their own choices in all those arenas but I still need to be able to say what I think is right. 
And that's the way it is. I was listening to, to one fellow, just a Jew, talk about it, and he had such a good point on it. He's like, so what do you think about all these other gender situations and homosexuality and, and all this? And he says, it's a free country. People can pick what they want. I love them. And that's how, how I feel. He says, but in order for me to be a Jew, this is what God requires. And I love that statement because it allows us to just say fine to the rest of the world, love the rest of the world. But if we want to be disciples of Jesus, we still have to work towards that situation. We still do. We can struggle with all of this. We all do. We all do. And like I say it all the time, if there's a video that goes up there that shows the thoughts that you've had even over the last year, you'd run for the door. We're all, we all mess up. We all fall short. We all do stupid stuff. But when you become transformed into the image of Christ, our desire and our heart wants to move towards being like Jesus, being like the word. And so we need to be praying more. We need to be praying more because the family unit is so important on this earth. The Bible says what? When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. You look around this earth today and there's not many people rejoicing through this stuff. You know why? Because there's not many righteous in power. Now, we're supposed to live our lives the same way regardless if the righteous are in power or not. We're supposed to spread the words. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to advance the gospel because the Bible says you can chain a man, but you can't chain the word of God. You can't. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so I think we need to bring a little more fight to the situation. But first of all, in our prayer closets, first of all, in our prayer. You know, we just, we just found out that when we're humble, God exalts us. Well, he says the same thing about prayer. If you're the one on the streets always going, hey, Jesus says, don't, receive, don't expect to receive from God. He says, but rather than doing vain repetitions and being loud like the heathen, he said, get into your closet and make it real because he's real and he listens and he executes things on the earth. And so I'm always guilty of not praying enough. You get some people that it's so easy for them. They just get up in the morning, they just talking in tongues, doing all this stuff and praying all day long. I have conversations with all day long, but it's not like usually specific towards things. Some people find that so easy. It's like, not for me. Not for me. I'm always talking with God, but it's just like, he's my bud. Hey, I'm working on something. Hey, you know, like, like I just talk. People must think I'm crazy half the time if they get around me. I've had people in my car multiple times. You know, my son used to say it, and even my wife once said, hey, who are you talking to? And I was just, I'm realizing I'm just talking to Jesus. But there are some times the Bible talks about where we need to get direct, and we need to get focused. And I'm not the best person at that. I, 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 gotta, work, I gotta really be strict about that. But let's just take some time over the next few weeks and challenge yourself to pray for this country. Because it looks like it's going the wrong direction. But Paul and Silas were in the dungeon, chained to a wall, and there was a suddenly, and all of a sudden, everything changed. And we don't know who God has in position. And it's not just going to be our prayers over the next few weeks. It's going to be hundreds of years of prayers for this country. We're just adding to it. We're just filling the bucket up. And so for the next couple of weeks, I just ask that you would just direct yourself a little bit more, not complaining, but just directing yourself more towards the future of this country. And I believe that one of the things that we need to be praying for is that the family unit is reestablished. It's truly reestablished. So what's our responsibility? It's to pray, 
It's to honor and esteem the family unit, which I just talked about. We're not, we're not in perfect scenarios, you know, and, and, and many people are in broken scenarios, but we still understand that even when those situations screw up, there's still God's design. We just have to do them better. We just, we're just, we just take another swing at the ball, but we still realize it's the best thing, right? And then, he, like I said, even with past failings is realizing, <laughs> like I said, God throws the ball one after another. It's not strike three with God. You just keep swinging until you hit the ball. And that's the grace and the wonderful thing about God. But we have to agree with his word regardless of how we're acting. As a per people, as a church, as a nation, we have to agree with his word because he knows everything. He's not changing for anybody, but he expects us and more than expects, allows us and empowers us to change towards him. Amen? Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the spirit of God. I thank you for your word. I thank you for our future. I thank you, God, that every person in this place has got a future that is hidden in Christ, that is hidden in God. I thank you, God, that every person as they leave this place, just as it, as it goes out over the next 10 years, the, just the, the, the magnitude of different directions that you have for all of us and the different people that we are, gonna, we are going to impact for the kingdom of God, I trust you it's going to be beyond miraculous. The kingdom of God will advance through us in the name of Jesus. I thank you, God, that we're going to practice our humility. I thank you, God, that that is going to be a light and that is going to shine and people are going to want to know why we do what we do. God, and when we mess up, we're going to ask for forgiveness and we're going to do it that way. We thank you that you'll lead us and guide us into all truth. In the name of Jesus, amen.